Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thanks, Rob. So last week we started talking about the image of God and how it defines our humanity and our identity, and in particular in the areas of spirituality and physicality, that our bodies, minds and souls are all a reflection of God and a good part of his creation. And that really tackled the questions of, you know, who am I and what am I? What is it to be a human being? But there's another question surrounding creation and the image of God, which is, why am I here? Why am I here? What's this all about? And that's the question of purpose. And the answer to this question, I think, actually gets a little more airtime in the verses that we just read uh, than the spirituality and, and physicality stuff. And that is, it's about our responsibility. Our responsibility. Our purpose, our function, and our role as human beings. And this is the ruler part of the title that we've been using last week and this week. You might remember two weeks ago we talked about how God formed the realms of creation, light and darkness, sea and sky and land, and then how he filled those realms with rulers, uh, sun, moon and stars, birds, fish and animals, and ultimately human beings. And see, humans are given rule not just over their own realm, but over all the creatures and all the different realms of creation, day and night, sky and sea, the whole earth, in fact. And this is why God created us. This is why he made us in his image for this task, for this purpose. When Moses wrote the book of Genesis, uh, he was living in a world of images. He grew up in that kind of world, for example, Egypt. Just like we live in that kind of world, just as Jesus did. Back then, kings would put images of themselves throughout their realms in all sorts of different ways. And that was to kind of represent themselves and their reign to the people, make sure people knew who was boss. 
The kings of today, I think, still do the same, whether it's political leaders uh, or big corporations or perhaps the celebrities of sport and entertainment. And I tried to roll those last two into one up there on the screen. But their images are everywhere. And God does the same, but he does it vastly differently. He fills his world with his image in a unique way, a way that nobody else can possibly do. And that is with actual people. Not just pictures or portraits or statues, but actual living beings who look like him and who function like him and who reflect and represent him. We don't just exist to mirror the creator. A statue is good enough for that. No, we exist to continue his creating work. Remember to keep forming the formless and creating order where there is non-order. To create, to maintain, to cultivate culture even. That is our purpose. And it is a purpose, it is a role that matches our dignity as human beings who are made like God. But also to match our humility. Because remember, we are images of God. We are not God himself. And so we are rulers under God who is the ultimate ruler of all the universe. And that's where we get these two really important words for this topic this morning, which is steward and ambassador. This is what we are. We're not owners of the earth. We are merely stewards. And we're not the king himself. We are his ambassadors. And so we're not here to promote ourselves or to pursue our own agenda or do whatever we want We're not here for our own leisure and our own comfort and our own goals. We're here to promote the owner and to give him glory, to pursue his agenda for this world. That is our purpose. But of course, as we considered last week with our spirituality and our physicality, is that our responsibility can also be deformed or disordered or disabled. And what tends to happen is that we seek to steal God's glory or we're all about our own wants and needs or we are here to blow our own trumpet. As humans, we are effectively glory thieves. Hence Genesis chapter 3. The serpent says, you know, eat the fruit and you will be like God. That's a goal, isn't it? Or Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, and everyone's sort of saying, you know, let's build this big tower, make a name for ourselves, we'll show everyone how awesome we can be. Or in the much simpler words of Ron Burgundy, hey everyone, come and see how good I look. Come and look at me, it's all about me. So not only do we need to look to the redemption of Jesus to fix this problem, we also need to look back at God's original design as we are doing in order to see his purpose for us. Because that's exactly what Jesus seeks to restore in us and in the world, the created goodness of God. And so we're going to use the rest of this time to look at two areas of our stewardship and ambassadorship, uh, looking at the earth and each other. The creation and the creatures that are below us and the creatures 
beside us. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over all the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Uh, We talked last week about how we're more special and more important than animals and plants, uh, because we're made in God's image. But this week, what we see is that there is a purpose to that special status, which is that we are to look after all of those that are beneath us. Now, I'll admit, as a non-pet person, I'm just going to make a very broad description there, and some might say that's a very sinful dislike when you don't like pets. Uh, I'm quick to highlight our dominance over animals, and sometimes that might overbalance where I don't care too much about them. Uh, Although I will say that unlike my 12-year-old self, I have learnt the importance of caring for animals and being good stewards and uh, not being cruel in any way. But the reality is in the world before the fall, it was impossible that rule would ever be confused with oppress or treat harshly. Dominion would never be confused with domination. And subdue would never mean subjugate. The task was only a positive one of caring, of cultivating. And so we are to be groundskeepers, we are to be caretakers, we are to be stewards of everything that is around us. And by the way, that means more than just tending your garden. That's often what we think of, isn't it? You know, the garden in the beginning, cultivating. It's about having a nice garden and looking after some pets while you're at it. But cultivating culture is way bigger than that. It's about building society. It's about creating systems. It's about advancing technology. It's about sustaining the nature around us and so much more than that. The reality is every one of your jobs will do this kind of work of cultivation. Now, it's not about worshipping those things. It's not about obsessing over those things. Or idolise them, idolising them as Romans 1 reminds us that we do. We trade in the creator for what what has been created. But instead it's about using those things as God intended. For his purposes and for his glory. And let's not let the word use become a negative one either. Just like rule and subdue and dominion, it is an originally good thing to use what we have around us. God made the earth, he made resources, resources for us to use. Food and fuel, minerals and and vitamins, plants and animals, all can be used for working, for leisure, for eating. The image of God, as we considered, is about enjoying Him as well as representing Him. Stewardship is not supposed to be some dull experience, like we're slaves who are at work doing God's bidding. As He says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, it'll be yours for food and its enjoyment. So using creation is not a bad thing, but using other people 
Well, that is, and we'll come to that in a moment. Using creation is not bad, but abusing it definitely is. And that is, of course, when our work and our leisure and our consumption comes at the cost of creation. When our human appetites demand more than what is provided. And it happens, doesn't it? When selfish indulgence trumps stewardship. I generally try to sit on the fence with all non-gospel issues and climate change is one of those. I would say that there are lies and truths told on both sides of the debate and there is definitely respect and abuse on both sides of the debate as well. And I think as always the bigger issue is not the groaning creation around us but actually the way that people treat each other and judge each other and speak to each other around these issues. That tends to do far more damage to our stewardship than global warming does. But the reality is As scripture says, the earth is groaning. In one way or another, it is groaning. We read that in Romans chapter 8. Because it hasn't just been subjected to human rule, it's been subjected to human sin and abuse. And that has resulted in all sorts of problems. Pollution, exploitation. It's a mess. And we are all guilty of it to one extent or another. It's so easy to look at others and say, well, it's their fault for this or it's, it's that group's fault for that. But actually, it's all of our problem. We all are guilty of neglecting the task. And yet we all have a responsibility to care for the earth, to sustain it as much as it is in our power. We can never be so fixed on the hope of a new world And so focused on on, on eternity that we ignore the world that God has given us today. It's this world that he is renewing. And remember, as we talked about, we are called to bring heaven down to earth. That happens in multiple ways. We're called to keep creating. We are called to keep renewing and maintaining. We saw last week that our physical bodies are good, part of our identity, not to be ignored. And so it goes for the created world. It's good. It's part of our identity as human beings, and it is not to be ignored. And that, of course, also highlights the need to be good stewards of our bodies, doesn't it? I could preach a whole separate sermon on that, but... The reality is our bodies are not ours to abuse and misuse, but to use for God's glory and purposes. As Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, we are not our own. We were bought at a price. That's redemption. So let's honour God with what? With our bodies. And so, yeah, that means eating well and exercising and making healthy choices and doing all of that kind of stuff, but it also means not abusing our bodies, using them for lust or gratification, using them for violence or dominating others. And isn't it heartbreaking when we see that in our world? And that brings us to the second point. 
caring for our fellow image bearers. We talked about this a little bit last week, uh, but there's more to say because we're as much stewards of each other as we are of the earth. We are ambassadors of the king to each other. We are representatives of God to each other. And so cultivation is not just about making nice gardens and feeding animals. It is about building a society where people can thrive and flourish. In as much as we can do that, it's about cultivating culture. For those of you who were here years ago when we did uh, Tim Keller's Gospel in Life, you might remember how that course starts with a garden and ends with a city, as Scripture does. The Garden of Eden is the beginning and then the New Jerusalem, the city at the end. Because that's the story of Scripture. It starts with a garden, two people, and then it ends with this city of multitudes. The perfect society. That's what God is calling us to build. It is about building and not destroying. In Genesis chapter 9, we actually read this last week, God holds Noah and all humans to account for the animals that they look after, but also, and even more so, for the fellow human beings because of his image. He says, And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood... By humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. We've talked before about how demons love to destroy the image of God in us. You know, relationally, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But let's not make that a finger pointing exercise. The devil loves to do that. Because we were doing that to each other well before the first case of demon possession. Ever since Adam and Eve looked at their naked bodies and felt ashamed and covered them in God's presence. Ever since Cain slaughtered his brother Abel in the first murder, the pattern has been continued. And when God confronts Cain about that murder... Cain says to him, am I my brother's keeper? Notice that last word, keeper, caretaker, steward. And he says it as if the answer should be no. It's not my problem. But God always intended it to be yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are each other's steward. Yes, you are each other's ambassador. God created mankind. He created humanity, plural. In the image of God, he created them, it says, because they are people together. And so this is where our task changes quite drastically. While we continue to be caretakers of the earth and enjoy the goodness of creation, we have a higher calling to be ambassadors of Jesus to millions of people who are stuck in the deformity, the disability, and the disorder of sin. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are therefore 
Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God is redeeming and restoring and renewing his creation and he is using us to do it. God is redeeming, restoring and renewing his people and he is using us to do it. The work of creation and redemption are equally important in our role as human beings. And in fact, they are one and the same. I think too quickly we separate it and say, well, I'm here to to look after the world or to save people. Or be used to save people. But actually they're one and the same. God continues to create and to recreate through the redeeming work of Jesus. And we continue the work of creation when we're used to share that redemption with others. Remember from the first week, Every moment, every moment that we are in, every moment before us is created by God so that we can know him and make him known. That's his purpose. That's his glory, remember? And you might have noticed in there, again, that word, use, that God uses us. That we're his tools in creating and redeeming and revealing. At one point that was an insult. You're a tool, don't say that. We are God's people with his function. His tools to be used for his good work. And to be used by the creator, the one who made us in his image, who who gave us all of that dignity and all of that goodness, who rules us with complete authority and who equips us to do his work and to rule under him, to be used by him is an incredible privilege. That's what we were made for. That's why we're here. There's no other reason for us to live, to exist, but to be used by God for his glory. And God never abuses us. He never dominates us. He never subjugates us. He never oppresses us. Some here have maybe even experienced that from family or from parents. God never does that. And he never uses us in any of those ways towards others. When we do that to others, that's because of our sin. God shows us a better way, a way of love, a way of grace, the way of Jesus Christ. Because in him, we put off the old self and we put on the new. That's what Ephesians 4 says. We are being renewed over and over. And in him, God's people together, that is the church, is being transformed to become his new society. And for that new society to permeate into this world. In Jesus, we cultivate a culture around the gospel and draw people into that. That is the church's work. 
That's the purpose that we're given. And if you don't believe me, just look at John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Or is it chapter 21? I might have that wrong there. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. Talking to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Don't skip over that incredible sentence. As the Father sent me to come and bring heaven down to earth, to create, to redeem, to restore, to reveal, so in all of that I am sending you to do that same work through me. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus sent his learners, he empowered his learners, and he breathed on his learners. And it's a bit of a weird thing for him to do, isn't it? But maybe you recognize that from somewhere in Genesis. We haven't actually come to it yet, but in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We'll look at that some more next week. God breathed on him. The Spirit is God's breath throughout Scripture. The breath of God, the Spirit of God, one and the same. And the Spirit is given to us in Jesus so that we can be stewards and ambassadors today. Tools used by Christ for the work of creation, of redemption, of recreation, renewing and restoring the image of God in people and God's purpose and intent for humanity. This is our identity. This is our humanity, the life of God, the spirit of God, the image of God. The restoration of God, the purpose of God. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you this morning for purpose. There's nothing worse for a human made in your image to live without purpose and meaning. And Lord, we thank you that in your image you've given us not only purpose itself, but what we are meant to be doing, which is to reflect you, to point to you, to glorify you, and to continue your work. Your work of bringing heaven down to earth of renewing, redeeming, creating, restoring. Father, we pray that we don't get our purposes mixed up and somehow think that we're here for the purpose of satisfying ourselves. But that we will know always that our purpose is you and your honour. And so we pray, Lord, that you will equip us, that you will use us. We thank you that we never have to worry that you will use us in a negative way or abuse or oppress. 
but that you only use us in love, in grace, and in the ways that you've shown through Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, use us for your purposes. Today, in this coming week, in everything, Lord, use us to show your creation, to show your redemption, to continue to reveal yourself to this world, to draw people in to the goodness of what you have made when you created us in your image and to show that Jesus brings full restoration to that. Lord, use us to shine his light, to share his transformation in this world that so desperately needs it. Amen.